But I felt like the Lord wanted me to share a message called burning ones this morning. It is unmistakable and undeniable that the Father was speaking this morning and that He is desiring to set His people ablaze for His kingdom. I said it multiple times during the service, but Jesus came to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. Some people interpret fire different ways, but I believe that fire is multiple different things. We see fire throughout the scripture. It's not just a, 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 a uncontrolled craziness. We know that uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it is, that it says that God is an all-consuming fire. That our God is an all-consuming fire. And the fire, I believe, that he, that he burns with is the fire of His character, the fire of His nature, the fire of His holiness, the fire of, uh, of, of His power, of who He is in and of Himself. And that we, as his people, as his sons and daughters, we know that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Do we know this? That is our destiny in God. Our destiny in God is not a, 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 a mountaintop of ministry. Our destiny in God is to look just like Him. Our destiny in God is to have His heart, to know His ways, to, to be obsessed with Him. And as we behold Him, we become like Him. I'm telling you, I believe that we, as sons and daughters, should be burning ones. That being a burning one is a part of our identity. In God, that as we behold him, we become like him. If Jesus has eyes like flames of fire, shouldn't there be a little bit of fire in our eyes? Shouldn't there be a little bit of passion, a little zeal? Jesus said, zeal for your house consumes me. Burning ones. I believe that to become a burning one, we must be found in the place of prayer. I believe place is a prayer of burning because it's a place of beholding. Prayer is not just liturgical regurgitation to God to check a box to say I did my duty. Prayer is contact with the living God. Prayer is communion with the living God. Prayer is fellowship with the all-consuming fire. Prayer isn't just words to God. Prayer is words received from God. Prayer isn't just about words themselves. Prayer sometimes is about Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. And Jesus, I believe, hates the prayer of religion. He addresses it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees that, that, that pray to be seen by men. He says that they have their reward. Prayer that is prayed to be seen by men is not heard by God. But God is looking for people who will pray from a place of brokenness and desperation and barrenness. And that's how we become burning ones. Because we find ourselves on the altar. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
We are the living sacrifice that is supposed to be on the altar. A place of burning. But we get off the altar when we get out of his presence. We get off the altar when we get out of the place of prayer because he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Where was the altar located in the temple? Or where was the altar located? It was located in the temple as living sacrifices when we get out of his house, when we don't recognize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we collectively are living stones, his house, and that we are to be continually on the altar, we go out. We stop burning for his glory. Jesus, again, I'll say it again. He said, zeal for your house has consumed me. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Zeal is intense passion to preserve and to protect the standard of Jesus Christ. Zeal is burning. Zeal is passion. For the house of God. But to have that passion, we must be found before the burning one. Before the God who is an all-consuming fire. Because part of the problem in our lives is we want to burn for God before men, before we burn for God before Him. And what happens is the purification of the fire doesn't happen. And so we go out and we start becoming a polluted fire before people. Have you guys ever seen a a stack of tires that's on fire? It's nasty. You guys ever seen like a pile of junk that's on fire? It's nasty. It pollutes the air. It pollutes the atmosphere. But God doesn't want us to just be burning for the sake of burning. He wants us to be burning for the sake of his glory and for his kingdom. So before we can burn and let our light shine before men and bring glory to God, we have to be burned with the burning of purification. We have to be burned with the burning of purification before we can burn with the burning of passion for his kingdom. See, throughout the scriptures, we see that gold is refined by fire. That fire is a source of refining. I was recently doing some research. It's so funny, the timing of this, because I was looking at the the causes of fire, the implications of fire in uh, ecology. And the effects of fire on nature. And there were five main points. And I'll just give them to you here. And then I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we'll just pray and get before the burning one. The first one was for purification as I mentioned. The fire comes and it eliminates all of the dead organic matter on, on the ground. Because it keeps the, 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 the nutrients from getting into the soil to cause growth. So because of the deadness, it hinders growth. It hinders fruitfulness. See, but that's part of why we must be found in the place of prayer because we have to realize our barrenness before God. That we have so much dead, organic matter that's just sitting on the soil of our hearts. Do we know this from the scripture, the parable of the sower? That the, 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 the seed was sown in the soil, right? And the soil is representative for the soil of our hearts. 
The seed is the seed of God's word. So the issue is never with the seed. It's never with the word of God. It's never with him. The issue is always with the soil that the seed is planted in. And so what happens is, is God wants to come and plant a seed. But there's too much deadness. And we see in the parable that it chokes it out. The cares of life, the lies of the enemy, lack of understanding. But the purifying fire of God removes it that we might become fertile. That the nutrients might flow. But the place of prayer removes the barrenness. It removes the dead organic matter. It gets consumed. I love the story of Hannah in the Bible in 1 Samuel. Again, God is not looking for right prayers. He's looking for real prayers. God isn't looking for the right words. He's looking for the the hearts that are bare before him and real before him. Hannah was one who was barren in the natural, but I believe prophetically she's a picture of a heart that we should all carry. That we should all realize that we are like Hannah, that we are spiritually barren in and of ourselves and can produce and reproduce and birth nothing apart from God. And Hannah was found in the place of prayer before God that Eli said that she looked like she was drunk. Her prayer to God was so magnificent It was so beautiful that man accused her of being drunk. Sounds like the New Testament, right? When the Holy Spirit falls and what happens? Tongues of? (laughs) And they start accusing him. They're drunk. It's 9 a.m. or whatever time it is. Whatever time it was. So the place of prayer is a place of desperation before God. Where we realize that Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the what? The rich in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are like beggars spiritually because they see and recognize that in and of themselves they can produce and reproduce nothing. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. We need a heart like Hannah restored, a heart that is burning because we recognize our barrenness and we need God to birth something in us. We need God to produce something in us. And that is a part of what groaning in the spirit is. This is all completely off the cuff, so I hope, I hope you guys are tracking. <laughs> but that's part of what groaning in the spirit is. Can I just provide some language? Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I hope it's in 1 Corinthians. We're a little raw around here sometimes. Okay, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Someone help me out. Groaning in the spirit. Here we go. 2 Corinthians. Starting in verse 4. Sorry. I might be drunk in the spirit. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. We have to recognize our barrenness before God if we want to birth something in the spirit. If we actually want the life of God within us. 2 Corinthians 4 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Did you catch that? No matter what we face in this life, it's momentary and light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. It's not even worth comparison. However, we must have an eternal mindset. Otherwise, we'll look at the afflictions of life as woe is me and we'll have self-pity and and, and a victim mentality. We have to have an eternal mindset because in the light of eternity, nothing on earth will shake us. Because I have set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. When we set the eternal one before us and before our gaze, nothing can shake us. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Everything's going to pass away. We build our life on anything but the words of Jesus and his foundation. It will all burn. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the eternal matters. Verse 1 in chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Does that give you guys security? Does that give you guys a sense of security of the provision of God? That no matter what happens in this earth, no matter if everything is taken from me, that there is a house not made with hands, but it's eternal in the heavens unshakable for indeed in this house he's talking about the house of our bodies for indeed in this house we groan everybody say groan groan Groan. say it louder Groan. groan longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven wow That is part of the spiritual identity of sons and daughters. That there is such a deep longing within our hearts, such a deep burning within our hearts that we begin to groan because we're in touch that we are not citizens of earth but citizens of heaven. That we are not born of the flesh or of the will of man or of blood, but we are born of God himself, born of the spirit, born of the eternal. One And so when we get in touch with the sense of our heavenly citizenship, there begins to be a groaning. It's like an operating system of the old flesh and the new man that it's like there is more here. There is more in God. This is not all that there is to be. And that when that happens, that there begins to be a groan because we're longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Verse 3. I'll read verse 2 again. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. What do we do? Is groaning in the spirit weird? Like when we're up here praying pre-service prayer, like to the flesh, it's a little, it's a little weird, right? Like what, what, what are we doing here? To the natural mind, it's like why are people making these noises? What's the deal? 
But when we have an eternal perspective, there's a groaning within us. As a leader in this house, I want to say it is fully permissible for you to groan in the spirit. It should be done with an order. It shouldn't be a complete distraction from everything that's going on. But I long, I believe the Lord spoke to me a while back and said, I want to normalize the groan in my church. I want to normalize the groan in my church. The groaning that longs for heaven. The groaning that longs to be clothed with its spiritual identity, its heavenly inheritance. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Turn back to Romans chapter 8 while we're on the subject of groaning. Romans chapter 8. Groaning is a form of intercession before God. God loves the groans and the cries of his people. It says in Exodus that the groans of Israel was brought them deliverance. It was their desperation for freedom from slavery. That God heard their groanings and their cries. Does this sound like pretty polished prayer to you? Does this sound like nice eloquent words to be heard by men? God doesn't care about all that. God wants a people that is real. And sometimes in order to become real, actually it's not sometimes, in order to become real, we must get real. If we don't get real with God about the barrenness of our hearts, we won't become real. What does becoming real look like? What does that mean even? It means that everything we read in Scripture, everything we might know cognitively or by informational knowledge, that it would become real to us in such a way that it transforms our life and doesn't just become informational knowledge but experiential knowledge. That we would actually begin to manifest that which we say we believe. The level of our lip service to God is determined by the gap of our words to him and our actions. We can see how big of hypocrites we are by the gap of our words and our actions. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus hates religion. And he says that the leaven of the heresies and the religious was their hypocrisy. We have to get real to become real. Okay. Romans chapter 8. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this is the same language, it's connected, this is, the, this is a very parallel passage to 2 Corinthians that we just read. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, they're not worthy, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. My goodness. Can I read that again? 
Wow. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Why is creation waiting longingly and not the body waiting longingly? Why is the creation that is inanimate waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, but his people aren't anxiously waiting and longing for more of him to come in to her full identity? For the creation was subjected to the futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I heard Miles Monroe say one time that human beings are the only creation that try to be something that they're not. The only cats don't try to be dogs. Dogs don't try to be cats. Bears don't try to be sharks. I know it sounds silly, but if you think about it, our culture is perverse. Human beings are the only creation that try to be something that they're not. And all of creation is anxiously longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. There's the connection with Samuel chapter 1 and Hannah. The pains of childbirth. The pains of childbirth. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes with what he has already seen? Part of intercessory prayer is a groaning that is hoping for the longing of eternity. It's hoping for what is unseen. We don't hope for what we already have, for it's not hope, Paul writes. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Prayer takes perseverance. Being a burning one takes perseverance. It takes persistence. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Jesus told a parable of a woman before an unjust judge who cried out. And he said, the unjust judge said, because of her annoyance of me, I'm going gra- to grant her what she's asking for. And he says, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? Jesus equates faith with persistent prayer in the scriptures. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The groanings of the Spirit of God give birth to what God wants to birth within us. It is the groan of barrenness wanting to be clothed with eternity that partners with the contractions of God within us to produce that which he wants to produce in us. 
And it's a perfect prayer. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know in John, 1 John I believe it is, that if we pray according to the will of God, that we already have that which we have asked for. That if we pray according to the will and the heart of God, that we already have that which we've asked for. Why are we not groaning more? Why are we not pressing in more in prayer? Why are we not praying perfect prayers of the will of God that we know will be answered? This is the place of barrenness. That if we would find ourselves in this place, that the fire of God would begin to come and to burn away the organic deadness that is blocking the fertilization of the soil of God to grow what he wants to grow in us. So fire brings purification. Fire brings fertilization. And fire brings reproduction. I was shocked when I read this to hear that there are literally... um, I'm on the wrong point here. I'm sorry. That the fire brings transformation. That there are literally animals, certain, you guys are going to think I'm crazy for teaching this and saying this. There are literally butterflies that, (laughs) that cannot go through metamorphosis without the fire that comes through the forest before them. That there's literally like a burning of certain things in the forest that the butterfly latches on to become a a butterfly. That without the fire of God, there is no transformation in our lives. We have to have fire to have transformation. And then finally, fire brings protection. In these forest fires, it actually drives out invasive species of plants and animals and things that will devour But this isn't just a natural example. It's also a biblical one where as God is leaving, leading the people of Israel out from Exodus, that he sends a pillar of fire between his enemies. See, when we are burning with the fire of, when the the fire of purification has come and burned away the impurities, then the fire of passion comes. The fire of purity comes. And the fire of purity, because God is pure, because he is holy, when we begin to gaze on his face and look into his eyes of fire and burn with his fire, it is protection from all the other darkness that tries to come. Because when we're burning with purity, it doesn't touch us. It can't affect us. It just gets consumed in the fire of God. God doesn't want us smoldering. He wants us burning. We are called to be living sacrifices before him. I want to just take some time to cry out to God. If we want to be burning ones, we must be ones who behold him. We must be ones who are given to the place of prayer, who are desperate and hungry for the Lord for all that he has and all that he is for us. I want to invite you to this altar space. We're going we're gonna to go back into worship. We're going to cry out to God. We're going to press into God in a, in a deeper way that we would become burning ones consumed by his glory and for his glory.